Welcome to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. I'm program host Kip Allen. Let's Talk is the program for the Christian layman. The Lutheran who believes but has questions. In short, well, the program's designed for, well, it's designed for me because, you know, there's a lot I don't understand. Not necessarily things that are soul-shaking. Might just be something that's been bugging me for a while. And I find that rather than getting into a deep theological chapter and verse discussion, Sometimes a casual front porch style talk with a pastor is the best way to understanding. That's what this program is all about. Today's guest is Andrew Preuss of St. Paul and Trinity Lutheran Churches up in Iowa. I have my questions. I'm sure you have yours. You can send your questions in by email at any time to letstalk at kfuo.org. Or you can call in during the program. If you're in the St. Louis area, including Metro East, that number is 314 Eight two one zero eight fifty. Anywhere in the lower forty-eight, you can call us uh, toll-free at one eight hundred seven three zero twenty-seven twenty-seven. Pastor Preuss, welcome to the pro. <clears throat> Excuse me, Gam, through my voice. <laughs> welcome to the front porch. Yeah, it's good to good to be back with you, Kip. Thanks. Uh, <clears throat> sorry, don't know what happened there. Oh well. <laughs> oh oh well. yeah, it's all right. Yeah, especially since I, I quit smoking like 40 years ago, so I don't know why I'm doing this. But, oh, okay. Sure. But um, you came up with, with something, and frankly, it's something that's been in the back of my mind for a while. And you you had mentioned that uh, something came up in your catechism class, and I think it was why they didn't celebrate communion in the Old Testament. Well, obviously, that would be because the Lord had not yet been crucified and risen. But you know, there's a lot of things that happens in the Old Testament and even the New Testament that we don't do again. We don't do now. Uh, they're very strange things. And I suspect that if you were to take someone from that time and bring them up here to a normal to a, to a regular Christian, they'd say, "What on earth are you doing?" Yeah, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, you're probably right. Well, let's examine a few of those. Uh, what? What are some of the things that you think about? Well, you know, that question that it, that was asked to me, the question that was asked to me about uh, communion was uh, was about, you know, wh- whether they had communion in the Old Testament. And, you know, that brought up other other issues of like, well, okay, they didn't have communion, but they had, they had the Passover, they had other feasts that they participated in. They have the Sabbath day, which we really don't have the Sabbath day anymore. Um, you know, we we uh, we we observe Sundays as sort of a day of rest, we could say, but but that's more of a tradition that we've that we've adopted just because Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. There's no, you know, we don't have we don't necessarily lay down Sabbath rules like you can't work or anything like that. We just say go to church, hear the word of God because you need the rest for your soul and uh, that kind of stuff. So we don't have, you know, we don't have the particular, we have, you know, we have holidays um, <clears throat> like uh, Christmas and Easter, which are all, which, which are all centered on Christ who has fulfilled all of the feasts. So, you know, these are, the, what I explained to my catechism kids was the, just as uh, Paul says in Colossians, uh, Colossians chapter two, he says, "Do not let and do not let anyone pass judgment on you for food or drink, um, or uh, or about sabbaths or new moons and festivals. For these things are shadows of the things to come, but the substance is Christ. 
And so the, the analogy that I give to my to my uh, uh, catechumens, and I was giving this to my children too, uh, is imagine that you're that we're all standing here in the room, and all of a sudden all the lights go out, and it's dark outside. You can't see anything, and so we need to make it to the power box. And all I have in my hand is a lighter, so I light the lighter, and and then people need to follow my shadow, right? So the kids will follow my shadow, and they they sh- you know my my shadow is being reflected from the lighter, and so they're relying on seeing my shadow, but then all of a sudden I finally get to the power box and I'm able to kind of fix it, you know, turn turn the the circuit breaker on and off, and then all of a sudden the light's back on. Well, do you still need to look at my shadow, right? No, now you can just look at me. And, uh, and so that's how it is with the, the shadow and the promise, the promises in the Old Testament uh, pertaining to Christ. You know, they have all these shadows that point to the seed of the woman who's going to crush the head of the devil, that point to this uh, unity that, that God has promised to his to his people, he's promised to be with them, and then finally, God shows up in the flesh, and He dies for our sins. He makes atonement, um, and therefore, all these shadows that were meant to teach us to wait for Him are, you know, they kind of dissipate. You know, they they're, they're, they don't really serve the same purpose anymore. Um, but that doesn't mean that we can't learn from them. You know, there's a lot to learn about the third commandment, for example, right? You know, we apply that today to simply hearing the Word of God gladly and learning it, right? So, what well, what were things that you had in mind that that I mean, you mentioned that people that they would that that they would show up now and see things that we do now and and wonder what we're doing. What what did you have in mind there? Well, for example, just dietary. Uh, you know, we, oh, sure. We don't follow the dietary rules of the Old Testament. I, I'm, mm-hmm. I know a lot of uh, Orthodox Jews do, but we don't. What changed? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's the whole thing with the uh, that's that that that's that's the whole thing with the shadow and the substance, right? So the the distinction between clean and unclean animals was was the distinction that was meant to teach the people. Uh, by by an object lesson, that there is a distinction between being clean and being unclean, or there's a distinction between being holy and being common, right? And these are things that we kind of understand in even non-religious circles, right? So, I mean, it, we might call it formal or informal. You know, there, there are certain things that you just hold to be more sacred, Um and uh, and it's there often it's just it's it's self-evident but the these object lessons that god gave to his people israel were meant to teach them that god in a very in a very concrete way in a very personal way in a very involved way that god wants to be their god and that they are distinct from the rest of the people now I was talking to my brother about this last night. We were talking about uh, the the kind of literal sense of Scripture, right? What Scripture literally says. So when you say when you go to Leviticus or Deuteronomy and and it talks about you know do not eat uh, any unclean thing, right? Do not eat any 
you know, fish that doesn't have scales or, or, uh, or, or, you know, a pig or, uh, you know, stuff like that. And, uh, and, and, and so on the, on the one hand, you have the literal commandment that for that time you would have to listen to and obey, but there is, there is something that's mysterious behind it that faith looks to, right? And, and really what it is, is it's, it's, getting, it's, it's, it's getting to know why God would say this. What does this say about who God is? Right? What's God like? What's his personality like? And that all is fully revealed in Christ, you know? But, but you get to know that, though, in the Old Testament. So God, what, what's God like? What, well, he, he, he wants you to be holy. And you see this throughout Leviticus. There are all these all these regulations in Leviticus that all he always returns to. I am the Lord who makes you holy, right? I am the Lord who who sanctifies you. In other words, who cleanses you, who saves you from this dying world. So to make these very, you know, seemingly strict distinctions about meats, about not, uh, you know, not uh, sewing different pieces of garments together. Um, they're showing how God is, uh, how God desires to distinguish His people from from the world, and 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 also I think that there's something to that to to to, to signify that that God is going to bring about the cleansing, right? He's sort of setting them up so that they would then see kind of the climax of it all, in which 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 is uh, portrayed for us in Acts chapter ten where Peter has the dream uh, of all these unclean animals, and God says, rise, Peter, kill, and eat. And Peter is just scandalized by that. You know, why would I do that? I've never eaten anything unclean. But this is the whole point, is that now God is telling you to eat uh, the unclean thing. So because Christ has made purification for sin. So, so, so it's, I think it's helpful to understand this as a, as a, the, the entire history of God's people as one giant catechism class, right? Where there, there are certain things that you can't enjoy until class is over. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and, and so God has withheld things in order to reveal them fully in Christ. So another example of that would be like, he didn't, what did he not allow them to eat besides the, the unclean animals? But when you, when you cooked a lamb or you cooked, you know, a calf. What were you not allowed to eat in the calf? Do um, you remember? It was, it was blood, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. The blood. Which, I mean, you know, I I said that to my catechism class, and they were like, oh, man, that must have just been, like, really dry all the time. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, well done. You know, I like my steaks rare, right? Um, <laughs> Give it two aspirin, it'll recover. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's right. You know, I'm still young, so. Uh, but, uh <laughs> Well, and I'm sure there are ways for them to tenderize it and stuff like that. But, but at any rate, it's really interesting when you think about that because so, – so going back to the question that one of my students asked me, and she said, did they have communion in the Old Testament? And I said, well, yes and no. They did have communion with God through faith in his promise, right? That is really essentially what communion is all about. It's faith in God's promise. But did they have the sacrament of the altar? Well, no. Of course, as you pointed out, Christ had not died yet. He had not instituted his his sacrament yet. And yet there is this connection 
there's this sort of shadow and fulfillment between the Passover and Christ's death and the meal of Christ's death, which is his, his last supper, his, Lord, his last will and testament, the New Testament in his blood. And the two big differences between the, the, the Passover meal and the Lord's Supper is that, uh, or that one is that the, the, the Passover meal has the shadow, which is a, which is a lamb. And the, 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 the Lord's Supper has the substance, which is Christ and his own body, right? But then the other key difference is that you did not, the, the, the Passover meal had no blood because you were not allowed to eat it with the blood. You had to cook it all the way through. And, but in, now in the Lord's Supper, Christ gives us his blood. Because what, is, what, what it always says uh, in Leviticus 17, I believe this is, where it says, do not eat it with the blood because the blood is, is how God will make atonement for you. And he always says, you know, the life is in the blood. And this goes back to Genesis chapter 9 when they're coming, off, coming out of the ark. And he says, he says you, you can eat the meat, but you cannot eat the blood with it. So God, it's not that God doesn't like the blood. It's that God is trying to teach them by these object lessons that, no, 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 there's something, there's a purpose for this blood. This blood will serve a different purpose. But once it has served that purpose, once it has brought life to the world, as, as Christ talks about, you know, in John 6, that his flesh is given for the life of the world, that his blood is shed. And now, now that that is the case, now he does give that to us as a seal to eat and to drink, right? So it's, again, it's almost like what you, what you would, how you would treat your students or you would treat your children when you're trying to teach them something, you're not going to give them everything right away, right? You're going to give them little baby bites and then final, and you're going to withhold the best stuff for last. So that's kind of how we can see the whole, the whole, the fullness of, of, of this just giant catechism lesson, right? Okay, I, I think I can get that. I know, um, I know Israelis, for example, uh, do not like do not, don't like gravy. I, I remember I was there in the in the early seventies, and I've known a number of Israelis since. The idea huh. being that gravy is really cooked blood. Oh sure, yeah, so interesting. They, yeah, so they don't they don't like it very much. Uh, one other thing I was thinking uh, is let's, let's talk about baptism. I mean, this is common in all Christian in all Christian denominations. There's baptism. Uh, now I look to the Old Testament, and uh, I, I see in the Book of Job where Job was bathed in the river in the water, and he was he was cleansed from it. And I think maybe that was a uh, sort of a, a presentiment of the of baptism. And of course, it was practiced uh, before Jesus, uh, John the Baptist. So what about baptism? When, when did this start? And uh, would someone from the Old Testament recognize what we're doing? Uh, that's a great question. Would someone from the Old Testament recognize what we're doing? To an extent, I think. I think that there, there's always been, there has always been a concept of cleansing with water, right? Purification rituals. The priests had purification <clears throat> rituals uh, with the water basin in the courtyard of the tabernacle and the temple. Um, and, uh, but also just looking at how God has operated through the history of his people, you know, and Moses records how the spirit was hovering over the waters, right? And, and then you see that already, at the beginning of creation, that God uses water. He, he, you know, he brought everything out of the deep, right? He basically created everything out of the deep 
and uh, from from a formless lump to shaping the universe. And there's this, I mean, we don't know exactly what that looks like. You know, it's kind of it's a mysterious thing. But there is this 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 image of water that continues throughout throughout the Old Testament. And so then you see it in the flood, right? Mm-hmm. And Peter makes this connection between the flood and baptism. In First Peter chapter three, he says that Christ suffered once for once for all the once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Uh, being put to death in the flesh, he was he was uh, he was raised by the Spirit, by whom he also went down, descended into hell, and preached to those who wouldn't listen to the to, to the preaching of, of Noah uh, when when they were destroyed in the time of the flood in which only Noah and his family, eight souls and all, were saved. And so then Peter says baptism, which corresponds to this, uh, now saves us, not as an outward washing of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So, you know, then we see this in, like in our catechism, we ask, you know, what does baptizing with water signify? What does it indicate, right? So, So when we say that baptism saves, we're saying baptism is not merely a sign or a, or an outward symbol of our faith, right? It actually is God's gift by which he brings to us faith and salvation, eternal life. He gives us a good conscience before God by, by baptizing us into Christ, right? That's the, the water, the, 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 the word joined to water does that. And yet, while we deny that, while we don't say that the Lord, or that the baptism is merely a sign. We also don't deny that it is a sign. There is significance to the fact that to the element that God chose, right? The fact that it's water, there's significance to that. And the significance is that just as just as uh, the unbelieving world was drowned in the flood, just as Pharaoh and his army were drowned in the Red Sea, right? Uh, just as the the leprosy of Naaman was cleansed uh, was cleansed away uh, in the in the Jordan River. So are our sins daily to be drowned and to die and to be cleansed away in the in in our in our life of in our baptismal life. So would they recognize it today? I think they would understand. Like, yeah, this seems to be, you know, uh, this seems to be uh, something that you would do for purification would they fully understand all of it uh you know in its connection to christ and his death and resurrection well that all depends on whether they've heard john preach you know and say you know and that's that's where the god uh, god shows his fulfillment of the old testament in christ and so you know they probably have to be taught that so but you know it'd be not much different from how they would have reacted to john when he was baptized Right. Well, we look uh, upon water today, we're, you know, it, especially here in the Midwest. You know, it, it's not a big deal out here. Now, baptism is. I don't don't get me wrong on this, but I'm saying that the role mm-hmm. water plays in our lives is something that we yeah. take for granted. Uh, going back to the Old Testament, I mean, these were desert people, and you know, yeah. water was very very precious to them. And so it had a, a significance to them that perhaps we don't have today. And I was just thinking what you were talking about with the purification pools. In fact, I was reading an article uh, just this week about a couple of new pools were discovered uh, near the uh, near the temple. So yeah, that's uh, as a way to look at it. And frankly, I hadn't thought of that until you mentioned it. But uh, but yeah, this is a 
another way that we look at it, as I say, you know, here, you know, it's it, in the United States, it's not that big a deal, but it is in other parts of the world, and it was back then. So, yeah, water had a very, very special place in the uh, in the lives of those people. So yeah, I, absolutely. So yeah, I can see how that how that could evolve. If you'll pardon the yeah. expression. <laughs> well, yeah, well, that is that is an interesting point about how you know when you're in the desert. Um, you know, in, the, in when you're in the desert, water is not as common. And we live in an we live in a time when even when you do live in the desert, you know, you can go to your fountain and get water. <laughs> you know, we have all these these aqueducts that uh, are able to bring water from the Midwest into these arid places. Um, you know, and that's uh, that is it might you know, it, well, it's not just water. It's 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 with it's even with grain and with food and all these other things, you know, that we can at any time go to the store and buy pretty exotic things, you know? And, and, uh, and so I think it is easy for us in our day and age to lose sight of how significant it is to have grain for the harvest, you know, to have enough, you know, enough to make bread and to have a feast, you know, to have a fattened calf. Well, I know a lot of the range wars were fought over over water rights in the, in the old west. Uh, in fact, mm-hmm. there used to be a there used to be a saying. I even heard it said out in California in, uh, in modern times was that uh, whiskey's for drinking, water's for fighting. <laughs> oh yeah, I never heard that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that's uh, and that's what would happen. Like if we had, if you if 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 you suddenly had some kind of what's that called like EM. EMP attack or something. I don't know. I heard about this a while back where all of a sudden the grids were just destroyed and every, every kind of uh, electricity was destroyed. Um, You know, that would be a very, that would not be a good thing, you know, and and we would see how, how important water is. Um, And, you know, we, we go up to our lake cabin and we don't have running water up there, but um uh, we get it from the lake. We go out to the middle of the lake and we fill up, you know, a few gallons of, uh, of, 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 you know, pails or whatever. And, and then we just drink the water out of the lake. And it shows then, you know, when you run out of water, you got to go out to, even if it's wavy out there, you got to drive your boat out to the middle of the lake and get some more water. And so it puts more into perspective how valuable it is, you know, to have, to have water. And it's not just a matter of going to the faucet. Well, also, um, not to be flippant about it, but you can't make beer without water. <laughs> that's and I, true. And I behold brewers. That's that's why I had to bring that up. I do that. Uh, yeah, you get, I'm I'm sorry I didn't bring that up earlier. That's very important. <laughs> you know, it's it's amazing. I, I, there are a lot of people I find in the LCMS who do that, who are home brewers. Yeah, I used to I used to brew beer. I actually have uh, I have hops growing on oh. the side of my garage, in between the garage and the church. I live in a parsonage, and so um, there, it's a beautiful plant. Oh, yeah. Over the years, it's just gotten thicker and thicker. So, but yeah, no, that 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 that's a good point, though. About you, know, there was more significance put on these these things that God provides, um, like water. I mean, you think about uh, Elijah. One of the judgments that Elijah brought down to, uh, upon Israel was that it didn't rain for three years. Mm-hmm. You know, and that, that's that's just 
that that's a, a, a terrible thing, you know, to, to have to go through a drought like that. And these things were uh, were much more real to them um, probably than they are to us. And so, yeah, they would probably notice it more, um, you know, and it's it's easy for us to just kind of not notice things when we when our eyes and ears get used to them. Right. So. <laughs> well, you know, in the Middle Ages um, and uh, early Renaissance, the uh, the uh, like the Trappist monks, the, uh, beer making was, was very much a part of what they did. Uh, the thing was that that it turned out that it was it literally could be a matter of life and death because people didn't know that wa- uh, what bad water would do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. More people have died from water than anything else because it's not it's not uh it wasn't treated. Now when you make beer, it automatically sterilizes it. You got to boil the water. Uh there's uh, uh the yeast will will get rid of a lot of the bacteria. The carbon dioxide layer prevents uh things from entering it and it's it's essentially a clean uh, a clean beverage. And if the alcohol level is low enough, like about 4%, uh, the alcohol does not desiccate as wine would, so it means that you could live. You could literally drink uh, drink beer and not have to drink water again. In fact, that was one of the reasons for uh, that that enabled uh, exploration uh, on boats back then was that they would take the these big casks of beer with them because the water would go bad after two or three weeks. And in fact, if you read the um, uh, there's a thing about the Plymouth Colony. Uh, one of the reasons they uh, landed at Plymouth Rock, rather than Virginia, which was their original destination, was that they were out of beer. <laughs> wow! And they had to they had to stop to make more beer so they <laughs> so they had something to drink. <laughs> well, one of the beers that I like to drink is, uh, it's called All Day All Day I- IPA by oh, yeah. Founders. I I've believe had I've had it. You know, and it's a. Uh, it's a uh, it's a kind of IPA that's low in alcohol content. So, like you said, it's around four percent, and so it's it's really something you really could drink it all day. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I'm not saying guzzle down one after another every every ten minutes, but you know, you, once an hour, you could you could easily you know, as long as you're eating stuff, you know, you mm-hmm. you uh, you could if you're an adult and you drink beer fairly regularly anyway. Yeah, I could see, I could totally see that, you know, having, you know, instead of drinking water, drinking like maybe five low alcohol content drinks of beer a day, um, something like that, you know, that, yeah, I could see that. And, you know, then you're also, you know, the carbohydrates, you're burning those off with all your exercising. Oh, yeah, a lot of carbohydrates in beer. Yeah. We got to take a little break here, but uh, we'll get back to some more discussions. There's some interesting dichotomies between... The, the society then and the society now, and yet we're all linked. Interesting.
many educational institutions are governed by the whims of culture and are increasingly hostile to the Word of God. In contrast, Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas provides classical Lutheran education rooted in God's Word for students preschool through grade 12. We equip students to stand firm in the faith through solid education focused on wisdom and virtue. We offer in-person instruction as well as live online classes for remote learning. To learn more about classical Lutheran education at Faith Plano, visit flsplano.org. That's flsplano.org. Our listeners and supporters are talking about Worldwide KFUO. Hello, I just want to thank KFUO for their music and the scripture reading. Just listening to KFUO brings joy and peace and hope. God bless you all. To leave a message on the KFUO comment line, call 314-996-1542. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Worldwide KFUO. The idea that our creation is the result of a fluke, an accident, is ridiculous. A hundred thousand monkeys typing on a hundred thousand typewriters, even after a million years, would never produce the works of William Shakespeare. But they might produce several episodes of Wrestling with the Basics, Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. On air or on demand. A click away 24 hours a day at KFUO.org. Did you know that your individual retirement account may make the best gift to KFUO? The IRS now allows individuals 70 and a half or older to transfer their required minimum distribution directly to charity and avoid paying the associated income tax. These gifts can provide regular long-term resources to KFUO. If you have questions about making an IRA gift to KFUO, call me, Mary, at 314-996-1518. We'll send a representative out to help answer your questions and help you establish a legacy of giving to your favorite radio station, Worldwide KFUO. New York's Guggenheim Museum displays art in every imaginable medium. An 11-minute color video produced by Jakarta-based artist Reza Afisina titled What? has been on display since 2001. The short film presents the artist in spiritual reflection, speaking various biblical verses, including from Luke chapter 12. Whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. This verse and others contain both counsel and chastisement. To demonstrate this, Alfisna slaps himself repeatedly while speaking scripture. This act of performance art evokes a range of emotions and touches on several topics. Aficina's film probes the subjects of justice, retribution, suffering, empathy, and compassion. Engage with the Bible. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. Good afternoon and welcome back to Let's Talk. The pastor is in and today's guest pastor is Andrew Preuss from St. Andrew and from Holy Trinity Lutheran Church up in Iowa. And we are discussing, well, how society has changed a little bit. Why the religious people from the old times would not recognize what we're doing today, and we certainly would look askance at some of the things that are done there. Now, one of the things I think, uh, pardon me, I said St. Andrew, I'm sorry, you're with St. Paul and Trinity Lutheran, my apologies. My brother Mark's at St. Andrew, that's probably why you get mixed up. (laughs) There are so many prices in the Senate, you know. Yeah, I know. Uh, one of the things I was thinking that uh, that m- might shock somebody, even from the New Testament, uh, is the fact that we men and women worship together. 
Mm. Certainly, mm-hmm. certainly in our church, and I know that this is not true uh, in others. Uh, in Islam, they don't do it. I, uh, Judaism tries to keep the sexes separate, but here we worship together. How would they re- how would yeah. they react to that? The the, the disciples, the and then the old time Christians. Uh, well, I mean, I guess it depends on on uh, which people and what their expectations are. But yeah, that was even fairly fairly recent in in our own history when you would have men on one side and women on the other side. I have parishioners who tell who tell me that when they were younger, that's how it was, and uh, they would in fact they would tell me that the only time that you would sit with some with a, with someone of the opposite sex is when you were engaged to show everyone that you're engaged. But then once you get married, then you sit apart again. <laughs> So, uh, and, and, you know, was there a rhyme and reason to it at first? Uh, that is, uh, I'm sure there was. And one, one thing I could maybe think of would be that, uh, the, the women would more often take care of the children or help other women in taking care of their children. Um, you know, you, you had a lot more, a lot more children back then, uh, you know, and so, and so perhaps, and this is just kind of my guess, which, you know, for the time and for the circumstance would maybe make sense. Uh, perhaps it, it was understood that the men would be, be responsible to be able to go back home and, and, and tell their wives what they may have missed, you know, and discuss, talk about the sermon, talk about the service with them. And uh, so, you know, so that they can... Uh, so that they can, you know, fill them in with what else, what what else uh, they've missed. Where, whereas, you know, and I've seen, I, you know, I've, I've seen this with myself and sitting sitting in the pew. But I think other people too can relate to this. That um, when you have dad, mom and dad both there, and again, I'm not endorsing the old way uh, or that old way, but I'm just trying to understand kind of why they would have it. But but even today, when you have mom and a dad and like four kids there, and they're all little kids and they're sitting and they're you know, maybe squirming around and stuff. And mom's not getting much out of the sermon and neither is dad, you know? So it's almost, <laughs> so I, I wonder if, and this again, is just my kind of speculation, but I wonder if part of the rhyme and reason to that was that, you know, the older women would help out the, the younger women and maybe hold some of their kids or, you know, maybe the older kids would sit with them and stuff and they would just kind of, just kind of help them out. And then the men would just be, they, they would concentrate on really paying attention. So the women could pay attention, but the men were supposed to go and, and, and because the expectation is that when you go home, you talk about what you heard in church, right? I mean, that's, that, that should be the expectation. And when those, when these things become sort of just empty rituals where we lose the, the, the rhyme and reason to it all, then, you know, then it's, that's, that's unfortunate. I'm, I'm sure that that's what happened with the whole separating men and women, you know, was uh, there was no, I mean, there might be a good reason to do that. You know, I mean, I'm not saying that we should go back to that. Uh, I don't think that would be helpful, but, uh, but, you know, there probably was a decent reason to do that, but then it was just kind of, they lost the significance of it all. Um, and then because things become, when you lose the significance, then they just become rules for the sake of rules, and then it just becomes very legalistic, right? And I'm sure that that's what happened. You know, you had the men's quarters and the women's quarters, and again, a lot of that kind of stuff 
would probably have started off as just very practical, right? Um, you know, women are able to, uh, you know, like I read this book called, uh, oh, it's called something like the service of women in the church and early church or something like that. And it was talking about how, you know, a lot of the wives of the apostles would be, uh, would be like somewhat of deaconesses and, you know, and, and, and they would, they would go into women's quarters where men were not really able to be right. And you would have, you know, you have examples of women helping uh, with baptisms uh, of other women because they would, ba- they, uh, some churches would be baptized. They would, they would baptize people naked, right. Without any clothes. So you would have women who would serve as, uh, you know, to hold up a sheet so that the pastor would not see the baptismal candidate, um, if she's a woman, you know, and then those days they wouldn't get baptized in a regular service. They'd be baptized sort of in a more private, private service. Um, I mean, and, and so, so, so there is a rhyme and reason to it all. And yeah, if you see something different, you're going to think, whoa, that's way different. But, you know, I think what the gospel does, the gospel frees us to, uh, to, to have an open mind without letting our brains fall out. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, it allows us to, it frees us to realize that Christ has died for all people of all times, of all tribes and, and, and languages. And so, yeah, they're going to be different types of cultures. And that, that actually should uh, allow us then to, to you know, when you go, when you go to church uh, with, uh, with those who are older or those who are much younger than you, and you don't really understand their way of talking or a lot of the way that they think, um, and yet you know that you have that unity in the gospel. Um, that is, uh, that's a beautiful thing. So, you know, I would hope that the, that, that Christians from the first century would not be, uh, you know, so put off by the way that we worship as long as they would, uh, they would hold on to the truth that we confess with them. And, and that's the beauty of what we're promised, you know, and, 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 and I, Revelation 7, you know, you have the vision that John has of all these people of different tribes and languages, and I would say of different times, too, you know, different eras, and yet they are all one in the time of Christ, right, in the era of Christ. So, well, that so was, yeah, that's, go ahead. I was going to say that's, uh, again, that was part of the things that the early church did, uh, was to separate themselves from from traditional Judaism was the idea that the message now is for everyone, the Gentiles mm-hmm. as well as for the Jews. It's for everyone, and that was a great leveling, I believe, between uh, that that started with with the church. Probably wasn't mm-hmm. any good for the Roman Empire, but uh, but uh, I can see where that that happened. Speaking of the Roman Empire, the Roman Empire. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of the Roman Empire, what would the people of the Old Testament or even the early Christians think of uh, today's society's rejection of the concept of monarchy? Huh. Well, um, I don't know. Uh, there would, you know, you you did have you did have uh, somewhat of a democracy in ancient ancient Athens. Um, and, uh, and I suppose you had a Republic until Julius Caesar, um, then it was more of an empire, but I mean, for example, had we, sort of a Senate, but we're, going, we're going through, um, uh, the book of Samuel right now with thy strong word. And there's frequent talk of God's anointed 
You know, Saul was anointed. David was anointed. But we don't have that now. We don't even have the concept. Yeah. Yeah, well, there, there is... Uh, I'm sure that that would certainly be a culture shock. Um, that would be a culture shock even for even for just a few hundred years ago, you know, the, the, this was just how you ruled. I mean, there were, there were different forms of government set up with, uh, you know, nobility and different types of nobility and electors and stuff like that. But you basically had a mo- some type of a monarchical monarchy system um, until relatively recently. So, yeah, that would probably be a shock for a lot of people. Um you know, there's the, the 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 whole concept of a balance of powers. Uh, that that wasn't necessarily unknown, though, in the Old Testament. I mean, you, you, in the Old Testament, for example, you had fathers. It's amazing how much more how much more authority a house father had, um, and a house mother, for that matter, had than they do now. You know, I mean, they could put their own children to death. You know, I mean, that's, whoa, that's a lot of authority there. Oh, yeah. Right? So when you talk about, like, I mean, talk about power to the people, right? You know, talk about a federalist system. You know, you, you had a, a certain understanding of jurisdiction. You have that in the scriptures where there, you know, as Luther describes in his large catechism in, in the uh, fourth commandment, how all earthly authority is really derived from the authority given to fathers and mothers. And, and then the other the other authorities that we have are sort of modeled after that. And so there's a concept of jurisdiction that, you know, there are certain things that you and your house that you are responsible for in your house. Right. You have rules in your house. If I come to your house, you know, you're going to there are certain expectations that I should uh, that, 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 that or certain standards that I should expect to abide by, you yeah. know, cultural standards or whatever. Right. I mean, that's just how it is. And whether you have children or not, or, or, you know, or you're just a single guy or you're married or whatever, that is, uh, you know, that kind of view of jurisdiction, uh, different houses have different rules, um, has always been around. So, and I, and in fact, I think back in, in the old Testament days, there was more of a sense of that kind of power of the houses. Um, and, and, you know, so, so you know, would they if if they saw what they see today? I think that honestly, what they'd probably be more shocked about, uh, more so than not seeing kings, is they would be more shocked to see how little power and influence um, the family and the home have uh, over the culture, um, and how little influence thereby the church has. Uh, I think that would be an even bigger shock. I can see where that would happen. Um, I think one of the concepts that we have, it's, it's almost a uniquely American concept, uh, was the idea that the people are sovereign, not the government. The government serves at the, at the, uh, at the behest of the people. Uh, that certainly has spread across the world, but th- we were the first ones, I think, really to do that. And uh, that was completely unheard of back then, you know, the divine right of kings, the whole thing. Uh, But uh, one area where I think our theology fits in that is that we have the concept of we're both saints and sinners. Mm -hmm. And so in a sense, we are, us, the people, are anointed. 
Yeah. Am I, am I reading that correctly? Yeah, I mean, in Christ. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, we are a royal priesthood. We're royalty. I mean, that's what I like to remind uh, my parishioners of this, especially of, especially the younger ones who are in school. You're royalty. Confess Christ. You know, you you are, you are you are to as Paul says, you are to judge the angels. You know, don't uh, don't don't undercut yourself there. You know, take full take take make full use of the gospel. Um, and uh, so yeah, we're saints, which means that we are royalty and we're sinners, and and that that has that has everything to do with the law and gospel, and also the different the two ways that God rules in the world. He rules through His law, so the, in the left hand, you know, by by uh, by keeping order in society and 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 and, uh, and stuff like that. But then He rules with His right hand, which is through His grace, through His gospel and Jesus Christ, and that's where He rules the conscience and the heart. And, uh, you know, and the, the, so this is, this is absolutely true that we, we are to see ourselves, as, as Luther says in his Freedom of the Christian, we are to see ourselves as, on the one hand, lords over all and subject to none, but on the other hand, be, because of our obligation to love as servants to all and, 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 uh, and subject to all, right? And, and, and so we, we, we serve freely, and, uh, and then we are... We, and and that is how then we actually exercise our our lordship, right? Um, I mean, this is what Jesus says when he says, "If anyone would would desire to be the greatest, let him become the least." Right. Well, another uh, another thing, and we broached upon it a little bit with the idea of uh, of women worshiping with men in the church, uh, is actually the role of women. And I think uh, what I'm trying to do here is to go back to the relationship that Luther had with Katarina. Uh, she was very, very much his co-equal and co-partner in, in, in much of their lives. He really elevated her, I think, to a position that very few men would have done back then. That, that perhaps is true, um, although it was more common before industrialization um, and, and when you had more in kind of societies uh, for the women to be to play a much more hands-on role in, in, in the home. Like, I mean, before I mean, we kind of think of, we think of stay-at-home moms, we think of the kind of leave it to beaver type stereotypical, you know, kind of 1950s sort of, sort of uh, model. Um, but, uh, but that's kind of a post-industrial age. And uh, before that, you, I think it was more common uh, to have, Katie Luther's out there, you know, to who who really were now she probably exceeded uh, many women in that respect. But I mean, you look at Proverbs thirty-one, and it talks about how you know a woman, a, a godly woman, will go out and she'll buy a field, and she'll uh, she'll prepare for her family. You know, she'll she'll provide. And this, you know, the the obviously the men have always been if you look throughout the throughout the scriptures and you just look at how God designed men and women you know the man is the head and the woman is the help meet um, and uh, they're to be compatible and equal in one flesh right uh, but obviously you've always had the 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 man as the protector and and all that and that's going to continue I mean that's that's always going to be the case even even if we have this kind of, you know, uh, immediate uh, gratification from more resources in our society. 
Um, it's still, you, you, you know, and even with all the, 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 the blurring of the distinctions between men and women that we find with, you know, the, the homosexual movement, transgender movement, stuff like that, and the feminist movement, you know, that you're still going to have those, 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 those distinctions between men and women. But you're, but, but with all that said, you're absolutely right that, uh, I think Luther saw that he saw marriage really for, for what it was and, and, and for its, uh, its original intent um, to get a, to get a glimpse into how Luther saw marriage, read his comments on Genesis two, and uh, and and uh, and and see and 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 two and and chapter three, and see how Luther talks about Adam and his wife. You know, um, and uh, so yeah, absolutely. I mean, my my wife is my wife and I are one flesh. I had a Jehovah Witness come in one time to my office. It's kind of weird, you know. It's, Talk about going into the belly of the beast. Um, <laughs> although not to say that I'm that great of a beast, but uh, but uh, but anyway, she came in and she wanted to talk, and she's with her part, her you know, the, her her partner in arms or whatever uh, for the kingdom. And uh, anyway, they're they're talking to me, and and I'd say that Jesus and the Father are one. And she and the the, the main lady who's talking says. Oh no, that that's just an analogy. That's just kind of symbolic, you know. It's it's sort of like when the Bible says that you and your wife are are one flesh. I mean, you guys aren't really one flesh. And then I said, "Yes, we are." She's like, "No, well, not really." And I said, "Yes, we are one flesh." And uh and I said because I don't base <laughs> I don't base one flesh upon anatomy and physics and things that I can observe. I base it on what God says. If God says we're one flesh, then we're one flesh. If Jesus says, this is my body, okay, then he's the boss. That's right. And and what's great about that is it shows the unity that is there, that we have with one another, and that we can live within these distinctions and not be, not be offended by them, not be scandalized by them, because we know that in Christ we are one. And we're one, we're, we're one flesh, just as a husband and wife are one flesh, so we are one, one body. We're part of Christ's body together and that that's a beautiful thing and so you know so going back to you know that how would they react i don't know um but i know that we're one body with them and that's what's beautiful well i think one thing that they would recognize and we tend to forget about this a little bit but the idea is is that men really are the disposable sex we are the ones we men are the ones who are to protect the women and the children with our lives mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. and this is a huge huge role of our gender and uh, I think the Old Testament people obviously recognize that uh, and even today you know in this uh, secular age it is still true you know that that you know, how yeah. many how many men <laughs> will run into a fire to rescue a child even if it's not their own yeah, no, that's right. And, you know, there's a, I was listening to this interview on Issues of Cedra last week uh, with uh, Anthony Eslin. He, now, he's a Roman Catholic. Um, he's got, he, he has some really good insight uh, in, uh, into, you know, natural law and uh, just how society runs and what happens to a society when, when it, uh, or what happens to a culture when it rejects, just, you know, the, the, the the obvious, the obvious orderings of nature that God has set in place. Um, and uh, he was pointing out that, you know, we, 
in our society where we have this kind of high tech stuff and we have more, we have more luxuries that are available to us. Uh, you know, compute, the computerized age has allowed us to not have, and then, you know, there's also the nuclear, the, the nuclear age, right. Where you aren't going to have as many people marching off to war. You know what I mean? I mean, so, so there's, there's just much more high tech stuff. And, and so we live in this, this day and age when we, in our society, we can sort of have the fantasy that there's no real differences between men and women. (laughs) But if you don't have these things, then you just can't live in that fantasy. You have to go back to real life. And that's when the men do have to, you know, stand up and, and, and actually stick their, stick their necks. I mean, if you're living in, if you're living in some village, you know, in, in, uh, in Nigeria, right. And, and all of a sudden, uh, your village is being attacked by, by people who are trying to kill you because you're Christians, right. Mm-hmm. That's, that's where, you know, you, you men, you stand up and you, you send the women and children uh, out to, to, to a safe place and, and you, and, and you protect, you know, there's no, there's no debates about transgender stuff going on there. You know what I mean? I mean, they, they don't have time to debate gender equality and all that stuff. You, you just got to stand up and you got to, you got to fight and you got to, you got to fight for, for those whom God has put under your care. One of my favorite authors uh, is a, the late uh, Robert Heinlein. And uh, he, <laughs> he created a fictional character called Lazarus Long, who uh, was the oldest and wisest man in, um, in, in the universe. And one of the things that Lazarus said, uh, Robert Tylan obviously said it, is that every society is based on the concept of women and children first. Any that does not will fall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, I agree. To, we're up to about the last minute. So, uh, what are your final thoughts? Well, we covered a lot of stuff, uh, including beer. <laughs> uh, so, I think it was a good day. No, I. You know, I think that the this all comes down to what the, that God is. God is always teaching us, and what He always wants us to know is who His Son is. And you know, while there's going to be a lot of different object lessons that God might use, or that we might use in our own freedom, uh, you know, depending on our own circumstances, the center of what He teaches is that He provides atonement for our sins in his son, Jesus Christ. And, and that is something that all of the saints will be able to recognize through faith. And uh, that's really the basis of Christianity today, is to, recognize, is to recognize Jesus. And, you know, the Old Testament people, they, they knew he was going to come. The New Testament people knew that he had already, arro- had already arrived, and many of them actually witnessed his resurrection. So... Mm-hmm. <sighs> Boy, I tell you, interesting times. Well, Pastor yeah. Price, I want to thank you so much for being on the program again. We had a good conversation here. It was a lot of fun, too. It's not, yeah, a, thank it's you not so every much day I get to talk me. about beer on the air. Yeah, oh, good. <laughs> okay. Thanks for having me again. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. You've been listening to Let's Talk, The Pastor's In.
You've been listening to The Pastor Is In, a weekly chance to chat with a pastor. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting The Pastor Is In on Worldwide KFUO.